Dagon's Illusion, Episode 22, A Letter from the Dark Past. This letter was found with other papers in the tunnel behind the tiny door. Originally written entirely in code, both the coded version and this translation were discovered together. Cairo, 17th of September, 1886. My dear Corneille, this letter has been doubly sealed in the secret method of our order. If upon its arrival you have found those seals to be broken, stop reading immediately and put into operation the plan as devised. In any case, I give you the gravest warning that the hate of our enemies is implacable. They will stop at nothing until they have meted out to each of us what their ancient insanity considers to be divine retribution. In the face of that reality, take all possible precautions. Assuming that the seals were intact, I continue. This letter is written in deep fear and with a heavy heart as I await a vessel to transport me to Liverpool. Our last days on the mountain were both the most fruitful and horrific of the entire expedition. I regret to tell you that both Staunton and Turnbull are dead. Bracebridge is missing and should be presumed dead until there is firm evidence to the contrary. Samuels has gone dangerously insane or worse. Should he attempt to contact you, be prepared to defend your life. I attribute the cause of his mental disintegration to the ingesting of a certain compound discovered in a jar in cavern number eight. It was Turnbull's assertion that this chamber could have been the actual living quarters of Hassan Isaba, the old man of the mountain. Being a reckless fool, Samuels embarked on an irresponsible test without our knowledge. If he thought the compound was going to transport him to the Garden of Delight, he was sadly mistaken. In my opinion, whatever took control of him was responsible for the horrors that befell us, the details of which cannot be related in this letter. Suffice it to say that our wildest speculations paled in the face of that awful reality. Alamut is grotesquely misnamed. It is not the eagle's nest. It is the nest of the viper, the jackal, and the jinn. It is an entrance to hell, and God willing, the explosives that we detonated will assure that its secrets remain buried forever. Three boxes of artifacts have been dispatched to the chosen cities. Corneille, I urge you to retrieve them with the greatest caution. Observe their surroundings for several weeks before you make any attempt to take delivery, and once they are in your hands, do not open them until you are in a place of absolute security. The boxes are numbered in the code of our order. In each you will find a coded list of contents and instructions, so I will make no attempt to enumerate them here. Treat every artifact as supremely dangerous. But there is one collection that surpasses all the rest in spiritual hazard. Within a small wooden box banded in iron, you will find three sculpted stones whose ugliness is beyond description. It is our joint opinion that they were the personal possessions of the old man of the mountain and were the source of his great power. You well remember the legends that come down to us from the Crusades and through the writings of Marco Polo. Documents that we uncovered confirmed much that heretofore has been conjecture. 
Before 1088 Anno Domini, Hassan Isaba was a fanatical Mohammedan gadfly, touring the countries of his fellow religionists in the Middle East, preaching his own austere brand of that dangerous fanaticism that spewed into the world from Mecca. So passionate and rigid was his message that many followed him, which drew the ire of the caliphs and the imams. For years, he and his followers were hunted mercilessly. Finally retreating deep into the mountains, Hassan Isaba found and conquered the fortress known as Alamut. It was here that he remained for the rest of his life, supposedly studying the Quran and sending out missionaries to spread his brand of the Mohammedan religion. It was said that he knew the Quran by heart, including the meaning of the secret words, and was well versed in all the esoteric sciences, especially alchemy. Whatever the truth of that might be, one fact is clear. The longer he held absolute power over his followers, the more corrupt he became. Rather than training missionaries, he trained assassins who were willing to die at his command. With great care, these young warriors were chosen and made ready. After the most thorough indoctrination that might take years, they were sent out to infiltrate the courts of the old monster's enemies. There they would remain hidden, sometimes for decades, rising high within the ranks, building the trust of all those around them. Then, when the order to kill was received, they would give their lives without the slightest hesitation. In spite of his professed religiosity, Hassan Isaba was a consummate mercenary, quite as willing to enter into bloody pacts with the infidels of the Crusader Kingdom of Jerusalem as with his co-religionists. The courts of the world were terrified of his power. Is it true that the old murderer never left his private cave? Our investigation has uncovered startling facts. The king of the assassins used few spies because he trusted no one. Indeed, he did leave his private chambers, but not like other travelers. We believe that his means of transportation was the set of vile sculptures which Staunton and I have dubbed the Stones of Hell. The exact modus operandi of these awful artifacts we did not have time to discover, but we know that it is associated with information on a fragmentary parchment, which sadly was lost during our precipitous flight. However, by a fortuitous coincidence, the language on the parchment was Aramaic. For several days prior to the disaster, I was able to study it and make extensive notes in preparation for a final translation. Because this information is too dangerous to risk shipping with the box, I include it here as a separate document. An element of the tests may have been the ingestion of a hallucinogenic brew called the ferment of visions. Turnbull and I do not believe that this was the concoction given to the young initiates in order to transport them into the Garden of Delight. It is said that Hassan Isaba had such a secret garden. When young potential assassins were being trained, they were given a drug that would render them unconscious. Upon regaining their senses, they would find themselves in what they thought was heaven, an exquisite garden replete with every delight, including young maidens who would fulfill their most lascivious desires. After several days of debauchery, initiates would be given another drug and brought back to reality. As they lay gasping with delicious memories, they would be informed that what they had experienced was only a foretaste of the delight awaiting them if they died in the service of Allah and the old man. One can only imagine their chagrin upon actual death, but I digress. Clearly, Hassan Isaba was a master of potions. 
What was the exact nature of the concoction that he kept for himself called the ferment of visions? While no recipe was found, we did discover an odd set of cave paintings in an empty crypt on level 5. They depicted plants not native to Persia. Among them was a mushroom which Staunton and Bracebridge insisted was Stropharia cubensis. If so, such a powerful hallucinogen added to hashish and belladonna could easily have sent the murderer into worlds unknown. Since we do not have the recipe, is attempting the test of the stones of any value? Indeed, are the stones themselves relegated to the status of ancient curios? That is a determination that you must make for yourself, but in my opinion, they embody an ancient power. Perhaps there are other ways to access it, but experimenting to find them will be dangerous in the extreme. Most strongly would I caution against trying to formulate your own ferment of visions. The stones might become exceedingly offended at such rash behavior and send you to an unpleasant location from which you could not return. The news has just reached me that my ship has entered port. Therefore, I will conclude this letter and post it, hoping to God that you and I will meet face to face before it arrives. However, my friend, I would be less than forthright if I didn't tell you that in my soul, I think we shall never meet again. I am hard-pressed and pursued, and not just by physical enemies. For the past six months, I have suffered under a series of recurring visions which have caused my view of the future to grow increasingly dark, both for myself and all of Christendom. I have no question but that long ago, the Ismailian cult of the assassins spread outward from their mountain stronghold into the entire world, and like a virus continues to mutate into thousands of ever more deadly forms, one of which is the insane fellowship dedicated to our extinction. The link between them all resides in the realm of the dark spirit. We can be thankful that we will not be alive 100 years from today. What horrors will be perpetrated by this murderous, mini-tentacled monster in the name of the great congealing? My dear friend, I leave you with this. Guard yourself and build the strength of our order. The only hope for the entire world is in the eternal line of the Carolingian kings. I remain your faithful servant, S.I. Hofstadter. <laughs>